We are uh, continuing, not just in our kids' teaching time today, but in our uh, sermon as well, uh, continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians this morning. If you have Bibles, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, so you can go ahead and make your way there. The first half of 1 Corinthians 11 um, talks about head coverings and prayer and men and women together in worship. It's a great topic, but to really do justice to it requires more time uh, than we have today. So I'm instead going to focus on the second half of chapter 11, continue talking about the Lord's Supper. Um, One of the things that we want to do on these family worship Sundays is, as much as possible, really sync everything up. So by doing a kid's teaching on the Lord's Supper and then going into more depth on the same topic, uh, my hope is that that will generate a lot of good discussion for you in your homes. Uh, And I would invite you, even as we are in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 day, to be thinking about that. Be thinking about um, how might this give me and my family an opportunity to learn together, to, to grow spiritually together, specifically about this really important topic in the Christian faith, which is the Lord's Supper. Um, because we're not looking at the first half of 1 Corinthians 11, I did want to make a resource available to you to help you navigate that in your personal study. Uh, there's a pastor up in Boston named Stephen Um. He preached a great sermon on that text several years back. Um, I have a PDF of that, a few card copies with me, but I'd also be happy to email you the digital copy of that if you're interested. Um, just send me an email, let me know, or catch me after the service. We'd be happy to, to put that in your hands. But with these few minutes that we have today, um, let's look at the, Apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to read verses 17 through 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. This is God's word. Let me pray. Eternal God, in the reading of Scripture, this Scripture and all Scripture, may your word be heard, and in the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known, and in the faithfulness of our lives, 
May your word be shown. Amen. Amen. Our lives are made up of both a vertical relationship and horizontal relationships. Uh, The vertical relationship is a way of talking about our relationship with God. Horizontal relationships are relationships with other people. And what we see here in 1 Corinthians 11 is that the Lord's Supper is about both the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationships. So we're going to look just briefly at each of those pieces. First, let's talk about the vertical dimension of what's happening in the Lord's Supper. What does the Lord's Supper have to do with our relationship with God? Well, as you'll hear me and other elders here at Liberty Church, each week when we celebrate communion, we'll say something often like, this is the gospel. This is the gospel in visible, tangible form. It's this visible picture of the sacrificial, substitutionary death of Christ in our place where he takes our sin, he takes our condemnation on himself, suffers in his body, and then accomplishes our salvation. And we look at this table and we see a real picture of the body and blood of Christ. Uh, Jesus gave those things for us that we might receive the benefits of his perfect and sinless life. So the Lord's Supper really has everything to do with our relationship with God. And as I was saying just a few minutes ago with, with our kids who are up here, it helps us both look forward and look backward at the same time. But actually, even that isn't quite the whole picture of, of what we're doing in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, this one act of celebrating this meal, is actually four actions rolled into one. It's these four. It's commemoration, anticipation, proclamation, and participation. Commemoration, anticipation, proclamation, and participation. We've talked a lot about the commemoration part. If you were hopefully paying attention and hope we didn't tune out when the kids were up here, that's the rearview mirror. That's looking back behind us and remembering and celebrating the finished work that Jesus has done for us. Anticipating, that's the, the windshield view. That's looking forward, looking ahead. Uh, Jesus says that he will not celebrate this meal with his people until the fulfillment of God's kingdom comes. Jesus is is making all things new, and there's this great celebration pictured in the book of Revelation called the Wedding Feast of the Lamb. So each time we come to this table, it's like a mini feast, as Paul says here in these words, that we do this until he comes. It's a little foretaste of this wedding supper of the Lamb that we'll have one day. Now in addition, though, to commemoration and anticipation, this meal is also proclamation, to remember Jesus' death, to look forward to his second coming by receiving the body and blood of Christ, is to declare, as we come, it's to declare that sin has been broken. It's to declare that there is indeed salvation in Jesus. It's to declare that all things are being made new. And so Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what I or other people do up here from this pulpit when we preach every week, actually every single one of us who comes to the table gets to do when you come to this table. It's a proclamation of the good news of the gospel. Now in light of this, there's two important points uh, about why we celebrate communion the way that we do here at Liberty Church. Um, One is that we celebrate it every week, and that's not news to you for any of you who have been here more more than one week, but we celebrate here every week. If the Lord's Supper were just about commemoration and anticipation, it would still be a really good thing to do often. But if it's also proclamation, and if it's also participation, which I'll get to in just a second, 
That means that we should really do this as often as we possibly can. Shay and I, this week, will celebrate our eighth anniversary. And thank you. Yeah, thank you. Some of you are like way past that. You're like, yeah, you can clap when you get to like 20, 30, 40. Uh, An anniversary is a great date on the calendar where it kind of is built into the rhythm of our lives. We get to, on this one day a year, think about and celebrate the years that we've had so far, uh, look ahead and look forward to the years that are to come. But if the only time that I ever tell Shay that I love her, the only time that I ever demonstrate that, that I care about her, that our marriage is significant and important to me, if the only time I do that is on our anniversary, that's a huge miss for me. That will not go well for me, and there might not be a ninth or a 10th or an 11th year. Most of us who are Christians believe that it is good and it's important to hear the gospel preached every single time we gather as a church. Well, if this at the table is a visible proclamation of the gospel given by Jesus himself, then why not also proclaim the gospel in that way every single time that we gather? So we celebrate every week, and then two, we actually encourage people who are not Christians to not take this meal. We encourage people who are not Christians to not take this meal. And what you've maybe heard me say if you've been here before, or when I or others lead us into the communion table, is that if you don't believe, then we encourage you not to receive this. Because doing so is to proclaim something that you don't actually believe. Right? It would be something that would actually violate your own integrity to proclaim something with your actions that you don't actually believe. If you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning, if you're ever visiting with us, um, if you know people who aren't Christians that visit with us, my hope is that people who are not Christians always feel welcomed and respected here. My hope is actually that they feel so comfortable, so welcomed, and so respected just where they are that they never feel pressured to compromise their own integrity. They feel so comfortable and welcome and respected just where they are, they can actually refrain from proclaiming something that they don't believe. So if that's you, that's my invitation to you. You don't have to proclaim something that you don't believe. And lastly, the Lord's Supper is participation. Participation. When we receive the bread and the wine by faith, we experience the grace of God in a special way. Paul wrote in the last chapter in 1 Corinthians 10 that this cup and this bread is participation in the body and blood of Christ. And when he says that, he's talking about how it's participation in the worship of God, but it's actually even deeper than that. It's really a tangible experience of our union with Christ. Union with Christ is this beautiful reality of our salvation. We are his, he is ours, we are in Christ as new creations. But that concept is often, and maybe you've wrestled with this, it's often so intangible. Like, how do I, how do I know that I'm united with Christ? What, is, what does even union with Christ even feel like? So this physical experience at the Lord's table makes the intangible tangible. And that helps strengthen our faith as we come to the table. Now, without going into all the different views of the Lord's Supper this morning, I just want to distinguish Liberty's view of this in two ways. So some don't associate the Lord's Supper with salvation closely enough. It would just be a remembrance. It would just be kind of a memorial. There's no uh, spiritual vitality that happens as we come to this table. Some don't associate it closely enough. Others too closely associate the Lord's Supper with salvation. That actually you could come, regardless of any faith of your own, regardless of any personal conviction or faith of your own, 
And you could take this bread and take this wine and actually experience something of the salvation of God just by eating bread and drinking wine. That's too closely associating with it. Both of those things are ditches on either side of the road. And as Paul describes in this text, the Lord's Supper is different from every other meal that we take. There is a power in this meal to the degree that to receive it in an unworthy manner is to heap guilt and to heap judgment upon ourselves. But the flip side is that when we receive it in a worthy manner, by faith, there's a power in this meal in which we experience grace from God. We enjoy our union with Christ in a tangible way, and it helps assure us that Jesus' finished work actually counts on my behalf, on our behalf. That's the vertical dimension of the Lord's Supper. Let's talk about the horizontal dimension of the Lord's Supper. What does this meal have to do with our relationships with other Christians? Well, as we experience our union with Christ in the Lord's Supper, we also experience in that very same moment our union with one another as God's people. We use, and if they sounded familiar to you, this is probably why, we use Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 11 in our communion liturgy every single week. But what often can get lost in that is the context of these words. So when Paul writes down these words and he recalls Jesus' words of institution that he gave his disciples at that last supper, what does Paul have in mind here? What are the specific abuses, the specific concerns that he has about how this is being celebrated in Corinth? The problem is that there is division among the people as they're coming to take this meal. It's an author and scholar named Craig Blomberg who gives a helpful overview of what was happening in Corinth. I just want to read a quote from him. He says this, Once again, Paul refers to divisions. But here he is not thinking of rival parties that possibly separate various congregations, but of the gulf between the rich and the poor in a given house church. The minority of well-to-do believers, including the major financial supporters and owners of the homes in which the believers met, would have had the leisure time and resources to arrive earlier and bring larger quantities and finer food than the rest of the congregation. Following the practice of hosting festive gatherings in ancient Corinth, they would have quickly filled the small private dining room. Latecomers, the majority, who probably had to finish work before coming on Saturday or Sunday evening, would be seated separately in an adjacent atrium or courtyard. Those that could not afford to bring a full meal or a very good one did not have the opportunity to share with the rest in the way that Christian unity demanded. So the issue at hand here is that the Lord's Supper is becoming a display of the division between groups of people in the church, specifically between the poor and the rich, between the haves and the have-nots. But that is the antithesis of what the Lord's Supper celebrates. It's the exact opposite of what we come to this table to celebrate. As one author says, it's the destruction of the meaning of the Lord's Supper itself because it destroyed the very unity which this meal proclaims. So the Lord's Supper is the gospel made visible. And the result of the gospel for our relationships with other people is that Jesus Christ has in his body broken down the dividing walls of hostility between different groups, different classes of people. Out of the many divided peoples, he has made one new man. 
So for us to perpetuate divisions in the church, and especially at this meal, which enacts and displays the gospel, that is what it would mean to participate in communion in an unworthy manner. That is what it would mean to fail to discern the body, as Paul says in this text. When Paul says discern the body, he's not talking about the picture of Jesus' body, the bread. He's actually talking about the body of Christ as in the church. He's meaning it in that way. He's saying, discern that Christ has purchased this unity across the very lines that divide the world. Discern that in Christ, there is now no longer a dividing wall between Jew and Greek, between slave and free, between male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is what the finished work of Christ purchases for us. So for consistency's sake, for integrity's sake, if we are saved by this very gospel, we must live out a reflection of that in the way that we celebrate the meal that depicts it. Now, no surprise to any of us in this room, we live in a very divided world. Social status, race, class, wealth, gender, age, all of these things, and then some, divide us. Uh, I'm sure some of you saw this a little more than a week ago. Saturday Night Live captured this in one of their skits, uh, not last night, but, but a week ago. Uh, one of the things that this election cycle that we're in, the, one of the things that this election cycle has exposed is that there are some, some strong similarities between black Americans and middle class or working class white Americans. And so one of the sketches on Saturday Night Live was called Black Jeopardy. Anybody see this? It's called Black Jeopardy. Two black women two female, black female contestants, and then Tom Hanks as a working-class white male as the third contestant on Black Jeopardy. And to everyone's surprise, he answers all of these questions correctly. Like the, the, the black host, the, the other black contestants, they're like amazed at how much he kind of gets their world until they get to the final Jeopardy category, which is lives that matter. And all of a sudden, they're not on the same page anymore. Right? Behind the, the comedy of that, is a really insightful truth that that is as good as we are going to be able to do apart from Christ. That's as good as you and I can do apart from Christ. Shared experiences, empathy and compassion up to a point, and then intense hostility and division remaining in the rest. But what we need to see from Paul's words in and in this meal is that Christians have a unity that's available to us across the lines that divide the world. Through Christ, we have access to this like no one else possibly can through merely having a strong social conscience or a a socially progressive agenda. The world desperately needs displays of unity. Christians have the only genuine source of that through the work of Christ. So my question for us this morning as we close, are you experiencing that unity? Are we experiencing that unity? On Friday, I had lunch with a man who moved here from the South a little over a year ago. He's black, and he said that his time in Pennsylvania has revealed to him that Pennsylvania is, he's experienced far more racism in Pennsylvania than he ever experienced in the South. Now, it's one thing for us as like a northern state to pay lip service to equality, our union heritage, I don't know where that comes from. It kind of, it kind of in my mind at least, would make more sense that we were like more progressive than that in the north. He said he's actually experienced more racism since he's been up here. But it's, so it's another thing for us to actually experience racial unity across these racial and ethnic lines that divide us. 
as important as it is for us to care about that in our nation, do we first care about this in Jesus' church? Right? Are we tasting of our unity? Are we tasting of our union with Christ across dividing lines? Because that's part of what Paul is calling us to when he tells us to examine ourselves and discern the body. So for us, part of examining ourselves, part of discerning the body means asking, what kind of person or people do I struggle to experience the unity of the gospel with? Is it people who are of a different race than you are? Is it people who are of a different socioeconomic standing? People who dress a certain way or look differently than you do or speak differently than you do in some way? Who are of a different age? So as we come to this table today, let's examine ourselves, but not merely the examination that's exclusively focused on our vertical relationship with God. That's for sure an important part of it. Let's also examine ourselves and the walls of hostility and division that might still exist in our hearts. Because Christ has given his body and given his blood to break those walls down. That's what we're commemorating, anticipating, proclaiming, and participating in as we come to the table. So may we celebrate in a worthy manner. May we honor Christ as we come to this table and honor all those for whom Christ has died. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you have been good and gracious and kind to us in more than anything uh, in your death and your resurrection, that you have given us a union not only with you, but also with one another through the work of the gospel. And we pray that we would experience that. I pray that we would examine ourselves as we come to this table, not only coming with a repentant heart before you, trusting that you rescue us from our sin, but also asking that you would break down these dividing walls of hostility in our hearts with one another. Lead us in that, we pray. Amen.